0: In the beginning, there was nothing, nothing but God. And in that nothingness, into that nothingness, into that darkness, he spoke. And he created all things, everything that we know, everything that we study, everything that we see now today as creation. And he created as the pinnacle of that creation, human beings, people to put on the earth that he had made. God spoke and all things came to be. And so his story began and throughout history, we have been able to see now chronicled in the pages of scripture that God, this intentional, purposeful, creative God has always spoken into dark places, his word. And so he began to write this story. And we know many of the stories from the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve and kind of after that and the flood and everything that happened. And then shortly after that, he called a man named Abram. He told Abram that he would send him to a land that would be a land for, for all of his descendants, a land for all the people. And that through Abram, who he would later name Abraham, that through him, he would bless the entire world through his offspring. And then Abraham has, of course, a son. And that son has a son, and that son has a son, and this boy Joseph becomes this young man in in a a large family who ends up getting sold into slavery to the land of Egypt. And so it would seem even at the close of the very first book of the Bible that maybe God's promises to Abraham had been extinguished. Maybe the darkness would reign after all, and maybe the light that God promised to bring to the world wouldn't come And so we open up the book of Exodus and God's people are in slavery. And then he gets another man to come, a man named Moses who grows up in Egypt and then flees and then comes back to lead God's people out of slavery. And he does and the people are free and they cross the Red Sea and they get into the desert and they begin to become a people and they get the law of God, the Ten Commandments and all these things that they can now follow God and worship God the right way and do what he wants them to do. And yet these people, just because they're people like us, are so full of sin, and they can't seem to to find it within themselves to follow this God and to walk in the light as he has given them in his word. And they fall away again and again and again. They wander around for 40 years, and then finally God brings another man, Joshua, to lead them into the promised land. And they go, and they get into the promised land, and everything's great for about five minutes. And they sin again. And God brings judgment on them again and then they continue to conquest throughout the land and they sometimes win battles and sometimes they're trusting God and fighting according to his will and sometimes they're not. And we see this whole cycle through the book of Judges where they just, they sin against God and he brings them into servitude to the other nations and then he delivers them through a judge, Samson or Deborah or Gideon or any of these men or women. And from time to time they'll follow the Lord and they'll trust in him and they'll walk in that light and then again they'll fall away and after a while they begin to clamor and beg god for a king and god relents as if they didn't already have a king in him and he gives them a king saul and saul's okay for about 5 minutes and then he himself turns evil and wicked and leads them astray out of god's light out of his word god raises up another king david and then after him solomon and these guys are pretty good but even through that the nation itself begins to divide and split into god's people who are walking in his light keep creeping back into the darkness, away from him. And now the nation's divided, and we continue to read through the Old Testament. We see this divided kingdom, north and south. Israel in the north, and Judah in the south. And again, kings come, and kings go, and some kings are okay, and some kings are wicked and evil, and lead them into idolatry more and more and more. And over time, as God continued to warn his people that if they continue walking in this darkness, that he would bring judgment on them, he does. The northern kingdom is led away into captivity by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom is led into captivity by the Babylonians. And they no longer even live in the land that God had given them. The land that he had promised them that they could walk in his light. Now they're in captivity. But by the end of the 6th century BC, God allows them to come back. and They they re-enter into Jerusalem and they begin the project of rebuilding their walls and rebuilding their temple And yet as we close out the Old Testament, what we see in God's people is not a people really living uh, in the fullness of the light that God had given them, but really a people who were broken, a people beaten down, a people who had spent hundreds of years at this point wrestling with God. Their economy was weak. Their religion was all but dead at this point. Even the temple that they rebuilt was barely a shell of what it once was. In the grandeur of Solomon's temple now stood this tiny, almost mockery of a remake. And there were a people, now subject to Persia and then Greece and then finally Rome as the first century breaks. A people just struggling financially, economically, spiritually. And it's into that world. Into that hopeless situation that the people of God, the Israelites, found themselves in. That the prophet Isaiah, so many years before, spoke as he said these words to them. And they're the words that Guy read just a minute ago. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And then verse 6 says, for to us, a child is born. That's the world that Isaiah spoke this into uh, 600 years before Christ came, that he said there was coming a day when the people of God, yes, they would sit in darkness. The people of God would know no hope, no joy, and no, no peace in the world. And they would be sitting there waiting, hoping that maybe God's promises would actually come to fruition one day. And Isaiah said, just wait. He's coming. though you sit in darkness for a season, the light will come. And today we are entering into the season that in the Christian calendar, we call this Advent. Many of you probably heard of Advent or have Advent calendars at home. Maybe you grew up in a church that sort of celebrated the Advent season a little bit more intentionally. Uh, We don't always do that here. We just felt like this year, this would be a a good year for us to kind of just sit back and look at all the ways that God has fulfilled his promises to his people leading up to the birth. Of his son. And so every Sunday, you're going to see us light one of these candles. There's five of them here. There's three purple ones. There's a pink one. and There's a white one. Um, today, we, we we lit the very first purple candle. God, God lit that as he read the scripture. Um, and this candle is the hope candle. And each one of these candles represents something. Hope, next week, love, and then joy, and then peace. And then the white candle is the one we'll light on Christmas Day, the Christ candle. And each week, we'll light one of these candles, and we'll talk about one of these ideas of what God has done for his people as he teaches them and leads them continually kind of back to himself to walk in his light. And so today, uh, like I said, today is the hope candle. As we think about the hope that Jesus brings us, um, and when we think about hope, I don't know about you guys, but anytime I kind of think about hope or hopelessness, I I always think about this idea of uh, really walking in darkness because, um, man, it's just, it feels like hope is that, right? Hope is that one little speck of light in a world that sometimes just feels so dark and so heavy and so hard. And this is exactly what God was doing throughout Old Testament history as he had to remind his people again and again and again, though you have run from me, though you forsake me, though you continue to sin, though you continue to leave and step back into the darkness, my light has not left. It has not quit. It is not gone. And it will remain. And one day I will send to you one who will come. And again, Isaiah, 600 years before Christ said, this light is coming, and we'll call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we know this, of course, to be Jesus, that Jesus Christ was born into this world of darkness, of hopelessness. And we're calling this series as we walk through Advent Unexpected because, man, there's so many ways that even though the Jews, the Israelite people, they expected the coming of the Messiah because they knew the prophecies. They knew that God had talked about this light of the world that was going to enter in. It still was unexpected, right? It was unexpected in the sense that they didn't know exactly who he'd be or what he would be like. And so much of his story, you know, as you read through the Gospels, that Jesus isn't just always quite what people expected him to be. Right That they expected this mighty warrior, this king, to maybe kind of ride in and just overtake everything, or when he would be born, because they knew, of course, he'd have to be born, but when he would be born, of course it would be in Jerusalem, and of course it would be with you know, kingly counsel around him. And of course it, it wouldn't be a, a poor boy born in hay in Bethlehem, in the middle of nowhere, where nobody really was there to see it other than a couple people and a couple interesting characters that God brings around him, and in even his life, how different it was, and the things that he said, the things that he taught, the way that he lived, and even to the way that he died. In the end, it was all expected, yet unexpected, and the way Jesus did everything that he did and so I want to read um, a little bit of, of the story that Matthew gives us of the wise men, the Magi. In Matthew chapter 2, if you have a Bible, um, you can just open it up there and we'll, we'll be there. We'll come back to this. I'm going to read the first two verses. Um, so it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So let's just pause there. These, these Magi show up. Now, uh, just a quick note, this isn't, I know this is a Christmas story, one that we always bring out at Christmas time. This wasn't really exactly when he was born. This would have probably have been a year and a half to two years later. So Jesus is a, is a toddler, okay, at this time when the Magi finally show up. They're from the east, it says. Probably the land of Persia, you know, somewhere in Asia, right? Somewhere in the east that they show up. Um, interestingly enough, as we look at these Magi, right, these are not the first Magi we see in Scripture, We actually see them kind of throughout the Old Testament in a few different places. These these wise men from eastern lands show up to do the will of God. It's always amazing when we see, I mean, this is part of the kind of the thread of this story, is that we see God's sovereignty, right? We see God's hand in all of this. And the reason these magi show up is to continue that narrative that God is in control, not just of his people Israel, right? He's in control of all the people's. He's in control of all nations. He is sovereign king and lord over everything. And so these wise men, these magi, show up from a long line of, of wise men. Some of y'all know the story in Numbers 24. Um, this guy named Balaam, who rides a donkey that talks, right? Because Balaam's donkey sees this angel in front of him. Now, Balaam was kind of commissioned by a foreign king to go and prophesy against the people of Israel, okay? In the book of Numbers, the people of Israel and these other kings, they're kind of going to battle. And this other king was like, hey, Balaam, why don't you come? Because you're a wise man. It calls Balaam a wise man from Peor. He was a magi from Peor. And he comes from the east to prophesy against Israel. But on his way, God kind of like changes his mind and changes his heart in a way that he prophesies for Israel. And he does it three different times. I'm going to read you a passage in Numbers 24, Numbers 24:17. 24, it says this, this is a prophecy of Balaam. This is one of the magi hundreds, thousands of years before these magi. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. That sound familiar? That sound like something that would maybe make sense in our Christmas story? This was a wise man, thousands of years before Jesus was born, prophesying by the will and the inspiration of God for the people of Israel. And one of those prophecies was that some sort of star was going to come, some sort of scepter, some sort of ruler was going to come for the people of Israel. So we see this thread working throughout the Old Testament that even these wise men that aren't even part of the people of God, are used to tell the story of the coming king of the Jews, right? So we, we kind of fast forward a little bit, and we actually see um, in the book of Daniel, if you've read the book of Daniel, there are wise men in the book of Daniel. Daniel is taken into captivity in Babylon. That's where? In the east, right? So he's taken into captivity in Babylon, which eventually becomes Persia. Daniel lives a long life in those kingdoms, and Daniel himself actually becomes a wise man. Daniel is a magi in the, in the Persian empire, the Babylonian empire, Um, And while he's there, it would have certainly been him, of course, that would have shared the scriptures with those magi, right? He would have shared the scriptures with the wise men in Persia, in Babylon. So you kind of read the story in Matthew, and you might wonder, where did these wise men get the scriptures? How did they know that when the star that we see in the sky was pointing us somewhere, how how did they know it was leading them to the king of the Jews? It was because Daniel brought them the scriptures, right? So Daniel probably, most likely, brought them passages and scriptures like Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. In Micah 5, 2, it says this. It says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And so again, this, this prophecy of someone who would rule, who would be born in the town of Bethlehem, certainly came, this was about 700 BC when this prophecy was made. So when Daniel shows up in Babylon, he has the scriptures of Micah. He knows the scriptures of man. He would share with the Magi there, the wise men in Persia, that there was for us, the Jews, the, the, the people of God, the Israelite people, there was a ruler coming. And he was going to be born in Bethlehem, right? And even one of, one of you guys, hundreds of years before this, Balaam guy, he prophesied about a star that was going to rise and a scepter that was going to come to the people of God. Do you see How intentional God is as he writes this story through history of letting us know that even in the midst of darkness that would come from time to time and then his light would shine again and then darkness again because the people of God kept wrestling with him and couldn't really figure out how to live for him, that he was in control, that he had a plan, that he had a purpose. And God is using these wise men from distant lands again and again and again to know that when this star would come, when this light would rise somewhere in the west for them, that they would follow it and they would find the king. So just to pause for a second and ask this question. Um, man, why is it so important for us to know these things about God? Well, I, I, I just think it's important, right? I think, it's, I think it matters that we see God's intent, that we see God's purposes, his intentionality through the Old Testament, through all of these stories, I think it's important that we see God's sovereignty. Why? Here's why. Because here's what I know about us as people, right? All of us at times live in a place of hopelessness. Whether that's a long season of life that you've been in, maybe you're currently in, or maybe it's just kind of little pockets here and there of, of things that you sort of go through, whether it's you know family things or financial things or job things or wondering like what, what God kind of has for your future or just looking at things and just wondering like, what's the point of all this? Where am I going? What am I doing? Why is this happening? Sometimes hopelessness, darkness just kind of sets in for us. And let's be honest, most of the time when darkness is talked about in scripture, it's not just those other outside circumstances. It's really our own sin. Right, So even that, where sometimes we're just sitting in sinfulness, darkness in our lives, and we can get to these places where a hopelessness just sets into our hearts and our minds, and all we can see is that darkness. All we can see is that darkness, and it just feels like it becomes God to us. The darkness feels sovereign. The darkness feels like God. And I think it's important for us to see God's hand through all of these stories because when hopelessness sets in, The best thing that we can do is remember the sovereignty of God. That's the best thing we can do. When we feel hopeless, when we feel beat down, when we feel like there's no hope before us, that all we can see is that all we can feel is the darkness, all we can feel is this weight that is sitting on top of us. The best thing we can do is to put our eyes on his sovereignty and know that the darkness is not God. He is God. He's always been God. He'll never stop being God. He could use a donkey and a prophet a thousand years before Jesus was born to tell his story, right? He could use the captive people of Israel to go into Persia and share the stories with them hundreds of years before Christ was born. He could use prophets again and again to speak of the light that was coming into the world to tell us that when he comes, we can see and we can know this was not an accident. This is on purpose. Purpose. This is intentional. Everything that happens is God's design. It is God's plan. The best thing for us when that hopelessness just feels like it's too much is to remember the sovereignty of God. You guys know for, uh, Psalm 46:10. Be still and know that I'm God. You ever ask yourself this? Why doesn't it say, be still and feel that I'm God? Sometimes we don't feel it. Sometimes we don't feel that because we might be sitting in darkness and we might not be able to feel all the goodness and feel the justice and feel that you're whatever. Like maybe those warm feelings aren't always there, but it says, be still and what? No. So when those moments come, when the darkness sets in, when it feels heavy, when it feels like I just can't see and I don't, I don't feel good about whatever's going on, my circumstances, guys, sometimes our circumstances don't feel good. What do you know in that moment? What do you know about God? Y'all, this is why remembrance is so important for us. This is why remembrance is so important for the people of God. Throughout our scripture, we see God offering to them opportunities to remember him, right? What is the Passover? The Passover for the Jews was remembrance of him bringing them out of the darkest time in their history, right? Slavery in Egypt. So every year they would celebrate the Passover to remember. What do you know? I know sometimes it feels hard, but what do you know? You know that God's your deliverer. You know that he brings you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You know that he saves you. You know that he redeems you. You know that he has given you promises. You know this, even when you don't feel it. What about you? What do you know? If you sit in darkness right now, or if you're struggling with something in life right now, I'm not asking you what you feel. I'm asking you what you know. What do you remember about God? What do you know to be true, even when the darkness sets in? Be still and know that I am God. And so the Magi travel a long way, and they, they show up, and they kind of get to Jerusalem, and they talk to King Herod, and they ask him, like, you know, where, where, where's this going on? And, you know, the king kind of asks his people, like, where's the king of the Jews? Like, the king of the Israelites doesn't know the scriptures. That should tell you something. Um, he has no idea, so he asks his people, like, where's this guy supposed to be born? They're like, oh, it's Bethlehem. So the, the Magi head off to Bethlehem. And like I said, they show up a little bit uh, later, so I want to read the rest of that story. Uh, Starting in verse seven, he says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, make a careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go worship him. That's a lie, right? Verse nine, after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. So these magi, the ones who had received the scriptures, probably their ancestors, their predecessors, 500 years earlier from Daniel, received the scriptures. They had been studying these scriptures for generations. You got to understand this. These were magi. These were men who were astrologers. They were philosophers. They were scientists. Okay, we kind of get the word magician from them, but really they were scientists. They were guys who loved to learn, loved to find things out, but they also studied the stars and signs and things like that. And at best, you got to understand what, what kind of their life was like, at best, these guys were educational guessers of, of the world around them, right? The created things that they see and in the stars and the way that they would read like, you know, astrology today, you kind of look at things and you're like trying to guess like what this might mean or where this star is or what's going on there. It's just guess guys, honestly, I don't know if you believe in that stuff. It's really nonsense, but the best they're doing is going, maybe this star means this and maybe that thing means that, and maybe this goes like this or whatever. And they're trying to figure this stuff out. But now something's different, right? Something's different for these guys. For hundreds of years, this has been their way of life. Guessing has been their way of life. And now they see a light and they travel a great distance to get to this place where they ask about a king and then they go to Bethlehem. And what do they find? The exact thing that was prophesied before them in their predecessors, their ancestors, hundreds of years before. The exact thing that God said would be there. The son of God born under this light that led them to the exact place where he was in Bethlehem with his mother. And it says, when they get there, they bow down and they worship him and they offer him gifts. So three things, when we realize, when our hope comes to fruition, right? When you have hope in something and you get to see it, what does that do for your soul? What does it do for our soul when we get to realize the hope Is actually true. It's actually solid. It's actually real. Three things. It says, one, that they rejoiced. It says they rejoiced when they got to the place where the star stopped over the house and they got to go in and see this fulfillment of the hope that they had. This wasn't anymore. It wasn't just guesswork. It wasn't just them going, maybe this is true. It's them going, I see it. It's the fulfillment of the hope. It's the fulfillment of everything we've been striving for, right? So when you see that there's real hope in Jesus, That he really did come. That he really did die. That he really did save us from our sins. Guys, that should fill us with joy. And the second thing it says, they worshiped him. They literally bowed down before him. So joy and worship. How do we respond when we see that our hope is fulfilled? We worship him. Why do we sing every week? Because our hope is fulfilled. It's sure in Jesus Christ. We have a hope that is absolutely sure and has already been fulfilled. It's not guesswork it's absolute and it's true. And the third thing it says, they offer him gifts. So we, we rejoice, we worship, and we bring offering. We give ourselves to him, right? What did the Magi do? They offer him gifts, says gold and frankincense and myrrh. Interestingly enough, those three things really have real significance in their world. Gold is the medal of kings, right? Kings are offered gold at their birth. Frankincense is something used by priests. And myrrh is used in burial. A king, a priest, a sacrifice. Who is this child? Who is this one that we've come to see? I don't know if they knew when they gave those gifts what those gifts would mean, but they did give the gifts in celebration and in joy and in worship to offer them to King Jesus, this child, because their hope had been Let me ask you this question. Does Jesus bring you joy? Like when you think about Christ and his coming, not just his birth, but his life and his death and his resurrection, does that give you joy? Does it lead you into worship? Not just in singing? Yes, in singing, but with a life offered to him. Does it lead you to give offering? Yes, your money, but yes, your time, and yes, your resources, and yes, your heart. Do you offer yourself to him because he's God? the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the one who was prophesied really came and these magi for the first time in their lives got to go, this is not guesswork. This is sure and I've seen it. And they worship and says they head back on their way. Does Jesus give you that joy, lead you into worship, cause you to wanna offer yourself to him? If you have seen Jesus, if you know Jesus as the prophesied king, as the priest who gave himself for us to offer us redemption and reconciliation with the Father forever, if you see Jesus as this, the light in the darkness, then you have this hope. You have this hope. The hope is made sure in your heart. But here's the thing. We still live in a world steeped in darkness. We still live in a world That feels very much like this. And kind of everywhere that we go and everything that we do every week, whether you're at home, whether you're on the job, whether you're at school, whether you're at the supermarket, anywhere that you go, there are people, there are families, there are coworkers, there are friends, there are neighbors, maybe there are enemies. But there are people all around us who are just, as Isaiah said, sitting in darkness. Well, what does the Scripture say for us? In Colossians, we did Colossians a couple months ago that it says in chapter one, verse five, that we have this hope set for us in heaven, set, kept in heaven, that it's sure. And in Hebrews chapter six, the author says that our hope in Jesus is sure and steadfast, like an anchor for our soul, that even when we sit in darkness, that this light doesn't move. It doesn't change no matter what the world looks like and let's be honest this is what the world looks like right now that this doesn't change and here's here it is for us that when we get to see it that when we come to know Jesus that we get to become a light too Jesus told his disciples you are the light of the world you are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden and should not be hidden and if we have looked on this hope We have it in us now. It's mine and I get to carry it and I get to show it. And here's the thing about hope. It's transferable. Hope is not meant to be kept just for ourselves. It's meant to be given. Scott, do you have a phone with a light? And we get to give it. We get to share it. And we get to show it to somebody else. And they get to see the light that we have. And when we carry this hope that we have and we walk to a dark world that doesn't know it, that hasn't seen it, that they're sitting in darkness and all we get to do as Christians is this. Look at that. It's there. I know the economy's bad. You don't think I know that, but this hasn't changed. Guys, I know there's war in the world. You don't think we know that, but this is still a light. If you have a light on your phone, would you just pull it out? Would you turn it on? If you don't have one, it's okay, but just pull it out, turn it on. And as we do this, as we show up and share our stories and share the hope that we have, just pointing our light towards the light, because we're not the source, amen? He's the source, and we just take our light and we point it towards his light. Look, the darkness is still there. The darkness is still real, but are we not pushing it back right now? Are we not able with our hope that we share with the world to show that there's a real light that's really come, it's really on, and it's never gonna go out. And we get to point the world to him, not to ourselves. We don't do this, we don't walk around like this. We walk around like this, just showing the world, guys, it's him. And I know family's hard, but he's, he's a light. I know work is hard, but there's a light I know, you, I know you have that, that thing going on in your, your family right now. I know that relationship isn't what you always wanted it to be. I know that there's, there's loss and there's failure and there's struggle, but there is hope in the darkness, y'all. This is what we get to share. And I, I just want y'all to hear this that this is the time of year, I don't know if you know this, that maybe you're gonna have an opportunity to point to this like you never have before. Because it's just the time of year where people are maybe a little bit more interested. It's just the time of year where maybe they're going to listen a little bit carefully, more carefully. So let's take those opportunities. And here's the thing about hope. The more you give it, the more you'll have it. The more you share it, the more you'll receive it. You want to know the hope of Jesus. You want to feel the hope of Jesus. Yes, we know it, but you want to feel it. You want to experience it, share it. Tell someone your story this, this month. Tell them how Jesus has changed your life. Tell them how this light has come on for you. What that means. Share with them that story. The prophecies that held true for Hunt. You can't deny this is absolute history and it's truth. That Jesus fulfilled what was said about him. In his birth and yes, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. He is our hope. So let's shine this light for him, to him before this world, this season. You guys turn your lights off. But listen, we're gonna go into a time now where we're just gonna worship Jesus again and we're gonna sing. We're gonna lift up his name. And here's what I want you to do as we do this. Man, just to allow God to remind you of the hope that you have in Jesus this this holiday season, this Christmas season that he has sent his son. Advent means arrival, that he has arrived, that he did his work all the way to the cross and the empty tomb. And now he sits at the right hand of the father and he will, listen, there's a second advent coming. Another advent's coming one day and we won't be in this building to celebrate it. We'll be in heaven with him to celebrate his second advent. But until that day, it is our job to show the world this light. So here's what I want you to do as we sing. If you just need to pray, maybe you need to pray that you would have this hope. Maybe you don't feel that. Maybe you don't know it right now. Pray that God would show you the hope of Jesus. If you need prayer, I'm, I'm right here. I would love to pray for you. Pastor Scott's right here. We'd love to pray over you, pray with you. You can come down front. You can kneel before him just to ask and beg God, God, I want to see that hope. Maybe you need to pray for somebody else, somebody that you're sharing Jesus with, that you would have an opportunity to shine that light this season and that they would see the hope of Jesus. Or just pray for an open door. God, give me an open door to share the light, to share the hope of Christ. Let's pray. God, help us. Help us as we sit in this darkness for just a minute longer to understand that this whole world is steeped in it. God, we live amongst a people that is full of darkness and we just wanna be a light to them. Shine the light of Jesus before them. Help us to do it. Help us to be faithful. And God, we just thank you so much for the glory of Christ, who is your light to this world. Thank you that this light is on, that his light will never go out, never be extinguished, never fade. We praise his name. In Jesus' name.